Good morning, everyone. My name is Chris McDaniel, the senior pastor here at the church, and we're going to read from Luke 10. But before we do, I just want to want to say two really important things, and I've got to get out from behind this thing to say it to you. Number one, I really miss hugging people, and I bet you do too. Uh, it's a really weird time where to do what is ultimately right, we have to keep distance from one another. And because of that, we're doing these uh, strange church services uh, in our living rooms and while on walks and in a mostly empty sanctuary. And so I just want to say um, we feel with you the strangeness of this moment. And number two, one of the things that I think the Lord has is, is really been pressing on us as a leadership team is to begin to reimagine what it means for us to be the church in this season. Uh, we have focused historically a lot of our energy on what it means to be the church in a gathered space. Uh, I love and frankly really miss our Sunday services and our worship and prayer services and the classes that we do and the gatherings that we have, the retreats that we do. What we haven't focused as much on historically is what it means to be the church scattered. In the coming weeks and months, our team is committed to a creative process of asking God with more intentionality and frankly intensity, what does it mean for us to steward the life of the church scattered, not just gathered? Because guys, whether we like it or not, whether we want it to be so or not, right now we just can't gather. But that doesn't mean that we cease being the church. I think that's actually one of the big invitations in front of all of us during this season. We are actually called to be the church, whether we are in a space together or whether we're having to be the church in relative isolation. My mind has been going recently to the scripture in Hosea 2, where the prophet says, um, the voice of the Lord speaks through the prophet, therefore I will allure her and lead her into the wilderness and give her back her vineyards. There are times where we're invited to go into lonely places so that we might actually rediscover what it means to be fruitful. Our hope for you is that we would all, in our own way, discover what fruitfulness looks like so that when we're able to gather again, we do so with full hearts and abundant hearts. And so I think that's the prayer that I think we all ought to start praying. And our commitment to you as leaders is to begin leading creatively in that direction. So we hope you'll stay tuned. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 10. I want to read, and then we're going to pray, and then we're just going to jump right in, beginning in verse uh, 25. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, and having poured oil and wine on them. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, 
I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and then let's try to see and hear what the Lord would have us see and hear. God, we ask you today for your grace to be still. God, wherever we are as the church scattered, uh, that you would remind us in this moment that we are still, in fact, the church. And we want to hear, Lord Jesus, what you have to say to us. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you now to speak. We pray that you would come and settle our hearts and our minds. Help us to be still, to learn and receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all, it's so important for us to hear that at the very beginning of this passage, when the fellow comes to Jesus and asks a question, he's not asking in a really friendly way. Jesus is in a testy space right here. And it's really important for us to understand, maybe especially during seasons of a collective anxiety like the one that we're in, that Jesus understood how to navigate really uncomfortable spaces. And therefore, he can teach you and me how to be uh, who we're meant to be in uncomfortable spaces. Well, Jesus is in a very uncomfortable place. He's being tested. He's being pressed. And he's not, frankly, among friends. And Jesus, when he is tested, he sticks close to what is fundamentally true. He asks the young man, he says, well, what does the scripture say? How are you supposed to live? And the guy gives the right answer. He actually says exactly what a good religious person should say. I'm supposed to love God and I'm supposed to love people. And that was true. But one of the reasons why this passage is so important for us as we navigate our way through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course is that this guy, like many of us, had a gap between what he knew and what he was living. See, there was a space there. And I would submit to you that there's a space there for all of us. We oftentimes know what is right, and yet living what is right feels like a totally different situation. Well, this guy had the gap. He was living the gap. And when Jesus points it out, a little bit of insecurity comes in. We're told that the man was trying to justify himself. Who's my neighbor? Who am I supposed to do this with? And I find it so interesting for this guy that he, in a moment of feeling a little bit exposed, probably feeling that gap, and many of us probably are aware of that gap right now in our own life because when we're squeezed, the stuff that comes out of us is not always terribly comfortable. And so the guy basically tries to justify himself. And the way that he justifies himself, he adopts a very technical approach. So who's my neighbor? And a lot of us in the last couple of days, we've been asking ourselves the same question. We've been thinking like, well, I see pain in front of me. What am I supposed to do about it? Who am I responsible for? Because there's so much need around me with the moment that we're going through with the pandemic and this moment regarding racial justice and all that's out in front of us. Y'all, the next number of months are going to be really, really trying for all of us in so many ways. And this guy, when he feels exposed, he he, he adopts a kind of technical approach. I find that when I'm exposed, when I feel insecure, I oftentimes want to be very technical in my response. Well, that's exactly what he does. And when Jesus hears this technical response, he responds with a story. 
And it's one of the things that I love about God. It's like God hears my defensiveness. He, he sees those places where I want to double down in my own insecurity, where I see that gap and I don't know what to do about that gap. And it's in that moment that God tells us stories. And so Jesus actually tells a story about hurt, about racial difference, to help expose the answer to the question, who is my neighbor? So a man's going down the Jericho Road. It was a dangerous road. It was a road windy and difficult, and it was fraught with trouble. People were robbed on this road. It was a tough place to travel, especially alone. And he's beaten and left next to death. Uh, we're, we're not told exactly where this guy comes from. We don't know how much money he makes. We don't know whether he's a Jew or a Samaritan. We know nothing about him other than the fact that he's fallen into trouble. And two religious people see him. And when they see him, they take a wide berth. You know, they, they put space between the need and themselves. And we don't know why these people did this. They, they probably felt like maybe it's a trap. Maybe he's tricking us. They thought maybe uh, I'll be late to a really important uh, engagement. Maybe they thought if I touch this guy, I'll, I'll be unclean. And I don't want to be unclean because I've got to go do things for God. We don't know why they go away from the need. All we know is they do. And then we're told a third fella walks by a Samaritan. And there's no commentary here because everyone listening to Jesus would have understood that Jews and Samaritans don't hang out. Actually, Jews, and, and I assume that this man beat on the road is a Jew. Uh, Jews would take the long way home if it meant walking through Samaria. They had differences in religion that had expanded over centuries to the point that they did not interact with one another at all. Jews felt like they needed to keep clean from Samaritans. Well, here we see a Samaritan see a need. And rather than like the Jew and the religious leader put space between himself and that need, he moves toward the need. And he does a couple of things that I think are really noteworthy. Number one, he notices. Number two, he actually does something about it. He moves toward it. He doesn't just see it. See, awareness would not alone help this guy on the side of the road. Action was required. And then he takes him and develops a plan, and he does something about this. He actually creates a pathway for healing and reconciliation. And so Jesus, in response to a question a defensive question tells this story about moving toward things that might otherwise scare or frighten you. And I want us to think about this for a second. I'm going to leave you with four ideas, four things that I think we can take away from this story in this moment. Things that I think the text and the Holy Spirit invite us to see. Number one, hurt is a given both in us and in those around us. Maybe we feel this hurt and the reality of the inescapability of hurt now more than ever before. I feel, it, <laughs> I feel like I'm living like on a hairpin trigger right now. It, it doesn't take much for me to feel tears welling up in my eyes because I feel the hurt and I see the hurt. And when we watch hurt all around us, maybe in a moment like this, there's an invitation for us to admit what's always true, which is that um, hurt happens. And it does us no good to pretend that it doesn't. Hurting people will cross your path and vice versa. 
Most of us hide our hurt until we cannot hide it anymore. I've wondered about that guy. I wondered if when he was beat, if he tried to get up and walk. And my gut tells me he probably did because that's what I would have done. I would have tried to limp my way to wholeness. And there came a moment in the life of this guy, and maybe you're there right now, where you can no longer pretend that the hurt is not real, that you're not deeply injured. And he collapsed under the weight of it. He just fell down. He didn't know what else to do. And as I look around, I see that for many of us, it's like a collapsing moment. And if you're not there, it'll inevitably come. Hurt is a reality. It's a given. The second thing I think this text invites us to see is that we have a choice when we're confronted with the pain of other people. See, the religious people saw the need and they moved away from it. See, they, they had a choice. See, between stimulus and response, there's a space and we make choices within that space. And this happens with people close to us and people far from us. It, it happens when we see people we don't know who are wounded, such as this story invites us to see. But it also happens when you see the hurt in a teenager or a child or a friend or a family member. And I believe that it's really important for us to take ownership over the fact that we all have a choice when we see and experience hurt around us. See, if we don't acknowledge our own volition, we'll never grow into emotional health. We'll never actually be the kind of relational people God wants us to be. We all have a choice, and we make that choice over and over and over again. The next thing that I think this text invites us to see is that when we move toward the need, we actually can learn how to be a neighbor and being a neighbor involves three movements, and the Samaritan actually shows us how to be a neighbor. Not only does he see, and not only does he make a choice to move toward, but he actually does three things. He has eyes to see what's really going on. And this is really important, y'all, because if we don't um, learn how to step back and be still, we'll miss so much of what's going on around us. I think that with regard to the moment that we're experiencing uh, relative to race, it's like the whole world has slowed down and the pain has come welling up and we actually have no other option but to see. Y'all, we have to be the kinds of people who see, the kinds of people who open up our eyes. And I just want to ask you, are you able to notice what's going on in the lives of people around you? Are you able to notice what's going on in the lives of people a bit further out than those in your intimate sphere? But the guy doesn't just notice. He takes an immediate action. He actually moves toward the pain, moves toward the hurt, as messy as it is, and then he pours in oil and wine. He puts him on his donkey. He actually takes immediate action. And the immediate action of taking the man's burden on himself is long-term, it's not sustainable, but it's an immediate action that he engages. Y'all, when we open up our eyes and we see that people we love, people around us are in a place of crisis, it, it actually invites us to take a level of immediate action that otherwise might um, be unsustainable. But if we don't take a movement, take a step, we're going to miss so much of the invitation to begin to change the conversation around the relationship. But thirdly, the guy thinks through 
what should happen after his initial investment. He, he ponies up cash and he speaks to the innkeeper and he says, we've got to be the kind of people who have a long-term plan. I believe that if we engage this way, we have eyes to see and we have immediate action steps that we take and we actually look at what should happen after the initial investment, we're going to end up being the kinds of people who are capable of sustaining real, authentic, meaningful relationships. And this is where I want to leave it. We are all called to give and receive mercy. Verse 36 and 7, I'm going to read what Jesus says. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I believe that one of the greatest invitations before us during this season of pandemic is to be the kinds of people who put ourselves in environments where we are able to extend mercy. And we extend mercy to those we don't know. We also must extend mercy to those we do. And for many of us, it's more difficult to extend mercy to people we know, and we're caught in a tricky situation. We're feeling complexity. I believe that God asks us to be the kinds of people who extend mercy. And to do that, we must be proximate to need. Brian Stevenson, the man who wrote Just Mercy, says that proximity is the critical ingredient to being the kinds of people who extend mercy. We must be close to it in order to engage it. But y'all, the shoe, it fits on the other foot as well. Not only do I need to be the kind of man who extends mercy, I have to be willing to receive it. And for some of us, that's super tricky. Ashley said today that we want to help. And for many of us, as soon as we hear, you can reach out and ask for help, a wall comes up and we go, nope, not going to do that. I just want to say to you, receiving mercy helps you be the kind of person who then can turn around and give it. And I believe there's an invitation for all of us as we move toward emotional health in our relationship. God wants you and me to love well. We're now going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Sing our way out of this thing. God bless you. Um, I'm thankful for you. As your pastor, my heart longs to hug you and to be back into spaces together. But until that time, we're going to remember that we're the church, and a part of that is praying these words that Jesus taught us to pray. And so let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.